Hi, I'm Jeff Ray, your host for Economic Outlook. Welcome to our show. We're back in the studio today for another great show. We hope you'll make plans to join us each week as we discuss the region's most important economic developments and initiatives with a panel of experts. A chip is a small piece of silicon that contains circuitry that allows it to perform a specific function. Chips are used in everything from phones and computers to cars and medical devices. But growing demand and a worldwide chip shortage in 2022 has slowed growth in many industries. We'll take a closer look at the chip shortage, talk about how it impacts you, and what's being done to stop it, coming up on Economic Outlook. We're back in the studio for a new season here in Economic Outlook, and today we believe we have a great show for you. The global chip shortage has slowed production in many industries, like automotive and gaming, and delayed the rollout of new technologies. Joining me today to talk more about semiconductors, chips, and the chip shortage is Derek Lake, Associate Director of ND Nano Science and Technology. Derek, welcome. Thanks, Jeff. Great, great to be here. Yeah, so we're glad to have you. So, you know, so obviously the news has paid a lot of attention to uh, semiconductors and chips and some of that. I'm not sure everybody uh, knows a lot about that, so we thought we'd grab an expert today and uh, pick your brain a little bit and help us understand that a little bit. Um, before we get into talking chips and semiconductors and such, so tell us a little bit about um, your background mm -hmm. and, and uh, tell us a little about ND Nano and what you do there. Sure, so I spent uh, about 15 years in the chemical and materials industry and working for um, global materials companies. And then about three years ago, I joined Notre Dame as associate director for Notre Dame Nanoscience and Technology. And so we're a center at campus that brings faculty together around nanoscale research. And we provide and support uh, faculty to help bring them together to collaborate and also support their research ventures there at the university, in which uh, semiconductors is part of that. Great, you know, it's been exciting to watch the evolution of, of Notre Dame in recent years in particular in the research space in yeah, terms absolutely. of to watch ND Nano uh, come on board and, and, and uh, the other space. So, so kind of why we tapped you today then, just uh, because you mentioned semiconductors and, and chips and all this. So I, I may use a few of those interchangeably. I am mm -hmm. apologize for that. So, so for folks who aren't familiar with some of these terms, talk to us a little bit about what a semiconductor or a chip is and why it's important to them. Sure, so when we talk about semiconductors, it's a material just like the name says, it's uh, partially semiconductive, so it falls somewhere between what like a metal that would be conductive and a non, and an insulator which is not conductive. And so these are, these, these uh, wafers are made out of silicon and so similar to what you might think of sand and it's pure uh, quartz material that they take and make into these, these silicon wafers. And then those are have essentially um, nanometer scale wires and transistors and other features laid on top of those. And then those are cut out and placed into what we would think as the chips. And so then those are constructed into the housing and the packaging, which is very important how all that fits together. Um, uh, at, with the, on those scale, and you've got those parts all that close together and they're generating heat, so forth, and how they how they're put together, that small scale is very important. And so those all go together. And so then if you were to open up your phone or your computer or your television, really anything today, you're gonna see these chips in and they're, and they're really pervasive across the uh, ecosystem. Great. So, um, so we're he we hear a lot about it today, but, but obviously um, as technologies evolved over time, they've been around for a while. What, so how long have, have we been dealing with semiconductors, would you say? Yeah, so, so it's good. They've you know, been around for um, 
probably as electronics were starting to develop. And, yeah, exactly, and the, exactly. In, so the, in the 20th century, early 20th century, maybe. Yeah, so, so going yeah. so going back to uh, yeah. 60s, 70s time frame, you know, sure. those. And so, but probably more what we think about is our uh, modern uh, right. microelectronics, you know, as it continues to scale down. So you've, you've had these advances in, in size and scale, which have enabled the you know, smaller devices like the phone, for example. If we think back to what was in place with uh, like some of the computers at like NASA w when there was the the moon missions and things they took up rooms right. and now we can do that with something that sits on a table sure you know. so so when I think about like my phone just uh, using an example are there many chips in there is it is it one that helps power it I, like I, it help us give a, a, a feel for or, or my car or, or whatever my guess is it takes a, a whole series of these to sort of affect the work that's happening there? Yeah, so so the, the chips will have different functions with them, and so some, of course, are higher end, so as the, you get new phones that come out, they're gonna have higher end chips in them that control control the phone. But you also may have a little bit, I'd say, kind of lower end that, that are providing power, or you know, think about in your car, too, while those are gonna be a little bit lower end chips, maybe with a controller for your seat, or for your, your, automo or your motorized mirror on the side or even uh, you know, some can help and control some of the sensors in the engine. But what's important is that they all have different functions and also different environments they have to be in. You know, the, the chip that will go into your car around the engine is gonna have to have a lot more, uh, be able to sustain higher heats, for example, than maybe what's in your phone and have different functions. Sure, So, and fascinating conversation. I appreciate it, I'm learning a lot already on this. So, so as, as we've been watching the news uh, and we hear, um, whether it's Apple saying we got to um, slow down the release of the next iPhone, mm. or or automakers saying we got to uh, slow production of, of our cars because we have this shortage, t t talk to us a little bit about um, the shortage and why we have uh, why we, why we have a chip shortage and how that's impacting the economy a little bit. Yeah, so it, so it's really interesting how this all came up and, and so, so number one to say is that the semiconductor supply chain is pretty complex. It involves multiple steps around the globe and so so number one you know you, anytime you have a complex supply chain like that something can go wrong and it and, and go down. So, so the one thing to understand is there's a couple different types of producers for chips. Ones that are really design them so they'll, they'll kind of draw them up and make the designs and then but they don't actually have facilities that make them. And then, so what we think of as being the producers, really, uh, they, they may design their own, but they also will produce for other people. And so in the U.S., we're making around 10% of the chips today globally. And uh, East Asia is accounting really for closer to 70% of those with uh, Taiwan, around 54% of them. And so w what happened is uh, when you've got this extended supply chain, uh, and then and it requires these complex environments to make them all and so things can happen so uh, so number one when the pandemic started the automotive industry for example decided that hey there's probably a recession coming and people aren't going to be going anywhere staying home and so they they delayed or canceled orders for their chips however what we all know that happened as a result of that is we end up staying in and buying personal electronics, gaming, things to help us work from home. And so then the demand for personal electronics went up. So these chip manufacturers, what they did is they switched over their production from the automotive chips to the, the 
some of these personal devices and phones and that sort of thing. And it's, it takes a long time to switch over production. And so when the automotive manufacturers came back and said, hey, we really need to get our chips now so we can continue production, it wasn't easy as just stopping what they were making and going back to it. So it's, it's either the case that they could sell those chips into the personal personal computing or phone and gaming, that sort of, those devices, or they had to completely retool their, uh, their manufacturing facility to go from automotive chips to these other types of chips. Great. So I'm continuing my conversation mm -hmm. with Derek Lake, the Associate uh, Director of Notre Dame um, Nano Science and Technology. Derek, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to go out into the field. George Lepinotis, my co-host, is out to add to the story. George, let me toss it to you. Thanks, Jeff. Speaking of microchips and things that make electronics work nowadays, I have the distinct privilege to be on campus at the University of Notre Dame. I'm joined today by Professor Patrick Fay. Professor, thank you for being with us. Oh, it's my pleasure. Professor, right behind us is what I'll call your baby. It is a, it's got a very explicit name, but I call it, it's a nanotech lab. Yes, that's exactly right. Can you tell our viewers who are looking at it right now what exactly this facility does? Sure. This facility, we use it for research in advanced electronics, in uh, de developing devices for, say, lab on a chip, uh, medical testing, as well as for microelectromechanical systems. But it's really for advanced prototyping and research. Uh, we also use it, uh, some companies use it for developing their prototypes uh, and commercialization efforts. Before we went on air, I asked you, you said you're a professor of electrical engineering, and I said, well, is that uh, is that about all about uh, nanotechnology and microchips? And you said, well, pretty much every electronic nowadays is based on nanotechnology. That is the case. Everything is truly in the electronics world getting smaller. That's absolutely the, ca the, the case. Nanotechnology underpins all of electronics these days. Other than the convenience of carrying mobility, what is the benefit of shrinking something? Yeah. So. The efficiency improves, so for example in a mobile device that means how much computation you can do or how long it will function on a given battery life. Uh, it also improves the frequency response which opens up higher frequencies for communications um, as, as well as just making it overall more power efficient and more capable. Yeah. Our show is about the region's economy here in Michiana, but this lab actually is, as we talked about, one of the most impressive and modern labs in any envir educational environment around the country, you're focused on these nanotechnologies. How, how is it that that helps students first off, but then how does it make that transition into the commercial world? Sure, so with regard to students, we use this to teach courses. Uh, students who come through this will have m made uh, test circuits as well as, uh, actually they make an integrated circuit that can play the fight song. Uh, in a very Notre Dame sort of thing. Um, but it, it, our more advanced students do research, they develop new transistor technologies, new electronic devices that um, have never been made anywhere else before and we, we, we build them here, test them, and really ver validate how well they work and how they compare to the state of the art. That all helps to develop a workforce um, and, as, and then they go off to work at places like Intel and Micron and other advanced semiconductor houses. Yeah, yeah. And in addition to training students, teaching students, you also have that relationship with private users that come for this facility. 
Yes, that's right. Uh, there's been a number of companies that have used our facility to either develop their prototypes and, and then they've gone off uh, and commercialized it, or they use us as sort of an advanced R&D arm where they can, can come in and prototype a few things, see how well it works, and, and uh, really use us as a, um, uh, as, a, as a way of getting ahead of their R&D curve. Right. You know, before we went on air, I was thinking about what a major role universities across the country have played in engineering advancements from the atom bomb. I, I see there on your board that the, one of the first wireless messages was actually sent from Notre Dame to St. Mary's. Yes. Uh, and today, wireless messaging is a massive part of our world. What is it about the educational institution that makes it conducive to this type of research? We have faculty with, in, with interests, specializations uh, that cover the span from, from people who are like me, semiconductor people, very low level in terms of their interest in semiconductors and in transistors, all the way up to people who think about protocols and um, big, big system sorts of issues. And so by integrating over this really large span from semiconductor devices all the way through systems, we have people we can interact with and, and understand how the technologies will all fit together to make a complicated system like a wireless communication system. Yeah, that's awesome. Before we went on air, you told me a little bit about your work here on the 5G cellular network, the 6G network that we've all maybe heard a little bit about but aren't sure. What is the engineering milestone? What is it that you think really is that next advancement? Is it continuing? to make things smaller, or is it more about being efficient with the energy it takes to make the device work? Yes, so th there's <laughs> yes. A, there, <laughs> all of the above, yeah. but, but, of, but of, of, of course power efficiency is very important and performance is very important. And what we see now is that silicon is becoming difficult to scale uh, any further. And so we, what we're doing is we're looking at additional materials that can provide performance beyond what's possible with silicon. Uh, in particular, I'm working on gallium nitride that is especially power efficient and especially high performance in high frequency applications. So this is exactly what 6G needs um, in order to really work the way we really all want it to. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's such an interesting part of the engineering challenge that we live through on a day-to-day -day basis. And they're somewhat miraculous, these devices that we have in our hands and the power that we wield, even looking back only 20, 30 years ago. Um, thank you for being with us today, Professor. I appreciate the tour. I appreciate your time. I know you're busy, uh, but really, it's been a great day. Jeff, back to you in the studio where I'm sure you've got a lot more to talk about, not only about microchips and the economics of it, but also just about where our economy is going as it becomes smaller and more digital. George, thanks. Appreciate the inside look at what's going on out there on campus. So we're back with Derek Lake, the Associate Director of ND Nano Science and Technology. Derek, thanks for continuing our conversation. Our, our, me and our audience, I think, are learning a lot um, already. So, so we're continuing this conversation about chips. We talked briefly about production of chips, kind of the shortage of it. We talked a little bit about how much of it's produced outside the U.S. The United States, though, is making a big push uh, to bring some of that production back to the U.S. Can you talk a little bit about what the, what the U.S. is doing to try to help uh, produce more chips here? Yeah, so, so currently the, the U.S. still is top in designing uh, chips so from the technology standpoint. As I mentioned, it's only about 10% of the global manufacturing capacity. So the companies are looking to bring back that manufacturing capacity to the U.S. And for, for a few reasons. One, of course, is about kind of uh, 
commercial supply security. You know, we, we experienced that with the pandemic and, and so being able to differentiate where the suppliers are. And, and then you have also some of the issues with uh, geopolitical issues, issues with uh, being in, in, in East Asia and potential issues there. Uh, a pandemic occurs again and could shut things down and so then you have problems. And it's also important from a security, national security issue, making sure that we can produce the chips that we need to go into um, national security, whether it's in missiles or, or defense radar, you know, whatever it may be, but then also be able to trust those electronics that go in there. So um, are, are we able to get, get those from, you know, from trusted sources? And so companies are already looking at where they can uh, bring manufacturing back. So whether it's expanding <coughs> current facilities or also building new new ones here in the U.S. Great. So yeah. So they're getting lots of attention. I think people are anxious for them. A very high tech uh, manufacturing. So so Indiana also has this on their radar. I don't know where chips are ultimately get pr produced. Indiana feels like um, they want to play in this space. Um, can you talk a little bit about just sort of the the state and the state's uh, approach, or some of the things the state's trying to do? Yeah. So a, a couple of things to mention there is. So we, Intel has already made an announcement in Ohio that they're going to put a, a chip foundry there, and then and that'll be a large one. And they're estimating there's going to be around a workforce of 3,000 uh, people once that gets up and running. And then there will be, and then a, a smaller company, but but still a sizable one, is Skywater Technology, who's talked about putting a foundry uh, in, in the state as well. And they're 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 smaller and a little bit different uh, type of manufacturer than. Intel, so they're already looking there. But the state has formed a task force. The, the IEDC has put a task force together that is looking at ways to attract companies to the state, uh, looking at uh, what, we, what the state can do overall, and that includes members of academia, industry, and other uh, kind of think tanks within the state to help, help attract those, and so they're looking at that. And then also from an academic standpoint, we are working together between universities on uh, how we can collaborate on research in this area. Great, no, it sounds good. So, so let's talk a little bit more, because you, you touched at the beginning on ND Nano Science and Technology and kind of your role there, um, sort of what's happening in Semiconductor kind of falls under your space. Talk about some things Notre Dame maybe is doing to, to try to position themselves in this space as well. Yeah, so we have a long history of, of working in semiconductors, uh, for example, uh, we've we've had for the past 15 years centers which which bring together universities from across the U.S. that have been funded by the Semiconductor Research Corporation, uh, and in particular the ones that we've had here at the university have been around devices and, and so looking for example how do we continue to reduce the power and, and operate these these computers uh, so these chips and semiconductors that reduce power or how do we integrate more features and in, in, into these devices and semiconductors and and then also you know, we've got research around the next generation of, of communications which are going to be very important with with semiconductors I mean that that's going to play a role as we advance go go to 6g and other advanced wireless communications. Uh, you know, we've got research going on in that area. And then just, I, I think you know, something we were talking about before is having these facilities and having the expertise on campus that we can continue to, to grow in this area. So looking at new types of semiconductors, looking at how we can continue to, to uh, 
shrink that down and continue to, to uh, essentially build on Moore's Law from uh, that way. Right, you know, it's, it's interesting to think about the, t today's semiconductor is really different than probably one from a year ago or five years ago or 10 years ago and the technology is evolving so it's been interesting to hear more and more. So talk for a second about just the, the maybe the student, like is, is this the engineering students or science or whatever, talk, talk to us a little bit about the, obviously the, the professors, you know, I think kind of the, on the research side, but the student opportunity to just Tell us, tell us who's interested in this space. Yeah, that, that's a really good question yeah. because this, this is going to be vital to bringing the semiconductor industry back to the U.S. and growing it. So really not bringing it back, but really looking at how to grow it. And so we're going to need a lot of workers in this area. And so the semiconductor association has estimated they're going to need, if, if this $50 billion, which is in the, the CHIPS Act, is invested around 42,000 workers over the next five years in this area. And that could lead to another 280,000 jobs even related to this industry is what they're estimating. So th these, are, these are engineers in electrical engineering, computer science engineering, even chemical engineering. But I would say not only is it, but it's at all levels. So we're talking, you know, it could be uh, associate's degrees, bachelor's degrees, master's, PhD, or certificates. So th there's going to be a wide range of uh, new employees needed and training and just a lot of opportunity for employees to come into, into the space. Yeah, no, it, it's interesting because I, I, especially young people, I think, are thinking about those new opportunities. Obviously, communities, when they hear about those job opportunities, these are pretty good jobs for a community if they can attract. I know the Ohio project had garnered a lot of interest from different states as, as, in terms of trying to attract that. So. Yeah, and, and what, you know, one of the things they mentioned, uh, Intel mentioned there, is, is they, they put it there because they have access to not only talent in Ohio, but a talent in the re in the region, which includes Indiana. Yeah, sure. So, so t talk a little bit, you mentioned um, in this space that the university um, works with other universities too. So the, so, so obviously you're, there's a, I don't know, is there a co-opetition here? They're all, uh, you're, you're competing on some levels with them, you're cooperating on others. Talk about just Notre Dame and how they uh, team up or work with other um, institutions on things like this or other industries? Yeah, so we, we work together to, uh, to, to kind of build on the strengths between the universities and, and to come out with something larger and a larger center or a larger type of research effort. And so this can be in, uh, from a technical standpoint, you know, as you mentioned, trying to develop the next generation or, or advance semiconductor research. It can also be bound around workforce development, so looking at how to change and improve curricula in here so that as we're growing the next force, uh, the next generation workforce and, and people are transitioning, making sure they have the right education and classes in there. And so I'd say on both those levels, so that include um, universities within Indiana like Purdue, but also you know, we have research centers at the university where we're working across the country with uh, with multiple institutions. And, and at the same time, are you working with private sector as well too? I mean, is, is there a little bit of, um, are, are the chip makers doing a little bit and the university's doing a little bit? Or are they doing that together or sort of separate? Or Yeah, so, so there is uh, there's research that the that, that's funded by industry there at the university. And, uh, and then also other collaborations to help get students, for example, into internships and, and 
get them into the, the industry yeah. as well. Uh, so how about, the, let's talk in our last couple, two minutes or so about the, um, the student interest. So, so, so obviously, as we're, as we're watching all this, uh, um, technology is is growing. There it seems to be a greater need for all of those inter those different um, studies that you talked about, whether it's computers or engineering or, or different things. Mm -hmm. What what's the interest level? I mean, are is this something that um, that there, there's great interest in this, and does this help uh, Notre Dame attract students here because of the research that's happening there? Yeah, so I think one of the important things to think about here is is that this is going to require probably a larger effort to educate students, you know, even down into high school and grade school about, for example, what a semiconductor is, what why is it important to, to the economy, why is it important to me on an everyday level, and then help them understand how s the science they're learning and, and, and eventually you know, physics and math and things that they're learning apply to this so so th th this is it's important to continue to grow this you know it's exciting uh, for example talking about the, the chips act this is like a once in a generation type of investment and so it is exciting these opportunities that are going to be coming for students and, and workforce yeah and you mentioned and just back to chips real quick uh -huh. 50 billion is that the number the federal government's talking about investing in that's right so so the, those that's going to be funds that they'll make available to help spur the construction of new fabs and expansion of facilities and then they're also making around 24 billion in tax credits available as well. Great, good. Well he's Derek Lake, he's the Associate Director of ND Nanoscience and Technology. Derek, thank you so much for the conversation today. Really appreciate the insight and helping us learn a little bit more. Appreciate the work you're doing on campus and we'll look forward to having you back for some additional conversations. Thanks Jeff, glad to be here. Great. That's it for our show today. Thank you for watching on WNIT or listening to our podcast. To watch this episode again or any of our past episodes, you can find Economic Outlook at WNIT.org or find our podcast on most major podcast platforms. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter. Please join us next week as we continue to cover the region's most exciting and important topics that affect you. I'm Jeff Ray. I'll see you next week. WNIT local production has been made possible in part by viewers like you. Thank you.